I just want to chase happiness. And if I make $5,000 a year or $10,000 a year or whatever it is, I'll figure it out. I'll get another job, whatever I've got to do to pay the bills. But I just, I want to chase happiness. And by chasing happiness, by doing that, I've been more successful than I ever could have dreamed of. All right, everybody, we are back with another episode of Comeback Stories. Today's guest, Matthew Berry. Matthew's the ESPN senior analyst of fantasy sports. His career used to look like writing for Hollywood movies, but actually had to leave Hollywood to get on screen. So he started as a fantasy football blogger in the fantasy sports world, and now is the biggest name in all of fantasy sports. He's also written a New York Times bestseller, Fantasy Life, and the host of Fantasy Focus. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on with us. We always just get right into your story. So we want to know, tell us a little bit about what growing up for you was like. Uh, Socks. Listen, everyone has different stories, right? Everyone has different stories and different backgrounds. So from a macro level, very lucky, very blessed. My family, my parents are still married to this day. Grew up, dad is a college professor a very kind of middle class, didn't have any family issues, very lucky there, no real money issues, very lucky there. But we moved around a lot. I was born in Denver. And from Denver, I moved to Richmond, Virginia, to Atlanta, Georgia, to Charlottesville, Virginia, to College Station, Texas, by the time I was 12. So I wound up in College Station, Texas at the age of 12. That's a lot of moving for a kid, especially when you're not in a military family. So I moved around a lot, and I think that stunted some of my social growth in terms of every year I was the new kid. It just felt like every year, every other year, I was the new kid in class. And when you're that young, that's really tough. My father just kept getting different jobs and better opportunities for his career, which was great. But for me, it was tough. And so someone who was already awkward socially, and then you get there and you're like the new kid. So it was tough. And I didn't have, up until the time I was 12, I, my friends were few and far between as a little kid, and that's tough. And then whatever, I'm a sensitive Jewish kid, and I moved to the heart of Texas. And so that was interesting. I was a tennis player, again, a solo sport. And growing up in football-loving Texas, when you're a sensitive Jewish kid, it um, doesn't always work out. And so that was just, it was a, it was a tough, again, tough is relative, right? Tough is all relative. But for my own personal experience, it just, I had, a, I, in high school, I finally met like a core group of good friends and people that are in my life to this day. But it was definitely, a, a, I would call it a lonely childhood. And for a good portion of it, especially when you're that young, I have, I have twins that are nine years old. And so now it's, so you realize how important it is for them to have, especially having spent a year quarantined with COVID, just how important those social interactions are when you're that young. And, but I think just to transition a little bit forward, because of that, because I was alone a lot, I was an avid reader, massive sports fan, every single sports fan I could get my hands on, every book, a nerdy kid, loved statistics, loved, loved math, loved just trying to figure out puzzles on my own because I was often left to my own devices. When I was growing up, no one had, you didn't have a cell phone. The big, you had, you had an Atari, if you were lucky, a Nintendo, the first version of the Nintendo. So yeah, that's, I think that informed a lot of what I wound up doing with my life and career. It's fascinating to hear that. Darren and I come from the world of recovery and we've taken these questions as the model of 
when someone speaks in a recovery meeting, they usually share what their life was like, what happened and what their life is like now. But recovery or not, it's we love that first question because it helps connect the dots. And even just hearing how much you moved around where there really was no foundation and no source of stability. Where I always feel like if you don't feel stable and supported, you can't even trust. You can't trust anybody. You can't let anybody into your heart. So of course you're going to feel alone. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I've never thought about it this way until you just said exactly that, Don. And so it's fascinating. Like I wanted to, I didn't want to, because knowing that, knowing, knowing Darren's story as well as I do and Don hearing a little bit about you and knowing what the podcast is about, I didn't want to come on and be like, yeah, my my childhood was awesome. I I played varsity tennis and I I won the, the district title as a freshman. All of which is true, but it's not interesting, I think. But when you said that about the support and trust, I was going to say is, and I've written about this before a little bit, but one of my biggest things, one of my biggest fears is stuff being taken away from me. Like I still to this day freak out about, and that's like a real trigger for me. And it's a real, it really bothers me. Like I won't get into the details here because I'm probably not allowed to, but I will just say two weeks ago, ESPN called me and said, hey, we want you to do this. And it was a really cool opportunity here at the company. And then I found out in a different way, but I, I basically found out two weeks later, oh, you're not doing that. Somebody else is going to do that. And, and it wasn't malicious on the company's part. I understood the reasoning behind it and, and why they made the decision they made. And if I was in the same position, I might have made the same decision. But it was a massive bummer. Like, I was really upset about it because I'd have been better off if they'd never even asked me. But they're like, hey, we've got this really cool opportunity for you. And then, nope, actually, somebody else is going to get that really cool opportunity. That's a real trigger for me is stuff being taken away from me. And I've known that my whole life. But the reason, Don, but I've never connected it. And I've never understood why, other than just no one likes stuff being taken away from them, right? That's a sort of natural thing. But putting it the way you put it, Don, it just made, I wonder if, this is now it's become a therapy session for me. But I wonder if that's because of the yeah, fact yeah. that anytime I would get com- as a young child, I'd get comfortable in a space, I'd finally make a friend or two, and then that was taken away from me. My comfort level was taken away from me. Like I'm on a second marriage. My wife and I, we've been together 14 years, but it's a second marriage for both of us. So we have a blended family. We have a big blended family, and I ultimately have five kids. But I I say that just because people are like, wow, you have five kids, and that's why I have five kids. But I think about my 20-year-old, Matt, and uh, Matt is a junior at Tulane. Matt's had the same best friend since he was three years old. Dylan, his best friend, Dylan, part of the family, like vacations with us. And he's vacated, like, literally his best friend since he was three years old. They've been inseparable. And, like, just the ability for someone to have the same best friend since they were three years old till the time that they're 20 is a special thing. And I never had that opportunity. So first I would say, I think these are therapy sessions for all of us always. That's why we do it. And it's powerful. And and how cool that even though you didn't get it in a sense, you were able to break the cycle and able to provide that for your own kids, which is really cool. What would you say is, can you share like in some of this is the pain, but like an early memory of pain that you had? Uh, an early, how early you want? Think about an early memory of pain. I think you just um, shared some, right? The moving around a lot. Yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. Answer. Like I'm trying to think of. 
Yeah, just in general, like I'm just trying to think of like a specific like moment in time. The the ones that the ones that 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 come to mind are I've written about this. I wrote about this so that I and I think this is again because I think I'm generally socially awkward and and I, I didn't develop a lot of it. Again, I'm to this day I'm socially awkward, but I am more social. I was much more socially awkward than before, believe it or not. And when I was in high school. Again, having moved around so much, you don't develop those interpersonal relationships. So I just, I had trouble fitting in high school. It took me a while to find my footing in high school. And so I think about my freshman and sophomore year where I was picked on a lot. And here's a painful memory. Here you go. Here's a pain point. I've written about this before. I wrote a bullying column. You remember the whole, I'm sure Darren does. You remember the whole Richie Incognito, Jonathan Martin, the whole thing? And how could an NFL player be bullied? How could a guy the size of Martin be bullied, you know what I mean? The guy's an offensive lineman in the NFL. And so I wrote an article about that and just detailed how I understood how Martin could feel bullied because of my own experiences. And I talked about high school. And so if you Google Matthew Berry bullying, you'll come up with that article. But and it's about as good as I get a, as a writer if you, if you enjoy my writing. But so this is the story that I told in that article. I was on the te- high school tennis team. And so again, like being very singular minded and focused and not having a great social life that does distract me. I played tennis every day of my life from the time I was 10 until I was 18. And I was actually really good. I was, I'm not an athlete on the level of Darren, but for a, for a Jewish kid in Texas, not bad. I was ranked in the state of Texas. I could have played D1 college. I got scholarship offers. I, I was the first freshman in 40 years to win my district title. My team went to state to state finals in Texas, where tennis competition is very tough because you can play year round, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so I was on a tennis team and I was I was the number one seed on my tennis team as a 14-year-old, which created its own set of problems. But I remember one time, so I'm 14 and like the team decides to, this is early on, we're done with practice and we decide to go to 7-Eleven. There's a 7-Eleven like about a mile and a half to two miles away from the high school. And so one of the guys, one of the older, like one of the juniors has a car. So we all pile in. We're all going to go get drinks and Slurpees and whatever after practice. So we get in the car and we drive. And I remember having this moment where I'm thinking like, wow, I'm, I'm finally part of a team. Like these are my teammates. I'm finally, I finally have friends and that kind of thing. And so we get to the 7-Eleven and there's five or six of us. And we all go in and we go in and I'm like, whatever, I'm making my drink and I'm getting a snack or whatever. And I go to pay and I look up. And they're all gone. We all walked in together and they immediately, they must have all just turned around and just left me there on purpose. You know what I mean? And so you have to understand that when I was in high school, that would have been 1984. So no one has a cell phone. You know what I mean? It's not like you have a cell phone. It's not like you can call an Uber. It's what my kids would have done in that situation. So now I've got to, with my freaking big gulp and whatever candy bar in my tennis clothes, probably holding my racket too, I have to walk like two miles back right back to the high school to grab the bus or whenever my mom is going to come pick me up or something however i got home those days it's not that big a deal but i just remember being so crushed in that moment just the realization that like all these guys had decided it it, you know been one thing if they all went to 7-eleven without me okay fine i'm not included but like they actively decided to play a trick on me, to play a prank on me. Like it all hit me very stupidly. Oh no, I, I'm not one of the gang. These aren't my friends. I'm the butt of the joke. I'm aware of this moment where I'm, I'm the butt of the joke. I'm the one they're all ganging up on. I'm the one they're making fun of. 
when this was all, haha, let's go leave Barry two miles away from civilization, so to speak. And that was, that, that's a painful memory. I remember that to this day. And that was, again, that was 1984. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. But I've written about that one. I, I wrote about a bunch of those kind of, those specifics in my column, in that particular column, the bullying column. Who would you say your first real teacher was growing up? You know, I had a couple of teachers along the way. There was a teacher in Charlottesville, very sweet guy. I had a couple of teachers that would see me getting picked on or see me go off in the corner and took pity and you know took an interest in me. But other than my parents, I'm close with my parents and my father is a hero to me and I learned a lot in terms of work ethic and integrity for my father, but not counting my parents as a first teacher, I guess probably my tennis coach. Again, like I was pretty good at tennis. So a guy named Tommy Cannell, who I took private lessons in College Station, again, from the time I was about 14. Tommy's a good man. Tommy's a good man. I mean, that you have common problems in facing adversity. So we're just grateful to have you here today. I want to ask you, what do you think your lowest point was, or if you have some season of adversity in your life that you would qualify as your lowest point? What did that look like for you? It's a great question, Darren, and I appreciate it. And thank you for asking me to do the show. I'll answer the lowest point question in one second, but I think one of the reasons why I think so many people, including myself, have resonated with your story, Darren, and hopefully that they get something out of my story as well, is that problems don't discriminate, right? You're Darren Waller. You're one of the greatest athletes in the world. You're one of the best people in the entire planet at doing what you do. Like when you think about that, right? There's 32 starting tight ends in the NFL. So there's only 32 people that have that role in the entire universe. And then by any objective measure, like you're one of the top people of those 32. You're the elite of the elite. And yet you still had the issues that you had and you still had demons that you had to overcome. And same with me. Not that I would put myself in the same sphere as you, but right, I make a nice living. I'm on TV. I make a living playing a child's game. Make a nice living playing a child's game. And so people can see that and say, oh, he's got it made. And you're like, no, I've talked about this before. One of the things I love is I'm a huge fan of superheroes, superhero movies specifically. By the way, we're recording this on National Superhero Day. And especially the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're superheroes but they're very flawed human beings that even though Tony Stark is a billionaire genius philanthropist playboy, who's got a metal suit that flies around, he still has moments of gripping doubt and ego and, and moments of darkness and sadness. And so I think, like I say, problems and challenges are agnostic. Like they don't discriminate. It doesn't matter how rich, how powerful, how strong, how good looking, how, whatever you are, we all have our own shit. Right. And specifically to, that point take me to my my lowest point so i go to high school find my way there go to college at syracuse university really find myself at syracuse great group of friends i do a ton of stuff i do student radio student tv student newspaper i do it all do really find myself really enjoy it and i think what i want to do with my life is i want to be a writer for television and movies so i move out to hollywood i meet a guy at Syracuse, we decided to become writing partners and we move out to Hollywood. And one other thing that I should mention here that I think is important 
clinical depression runs in my family. I don't want to tell somebody's story that isn't mine to tell, but there are people in my family who have been clinically diagnosed as suffering from depression. So I come by it honestly. But anyway, so I move out to Hollywood. And if you looked at my life on paper, just what we were just talking about there, my life was awesome. I'm an assistant for two years, but I eventually make it as a sitcom writer after two years, which is a fairly quick period of time. I'm going to make it. It's obviously very competitive. People want to get into show business. And while I never, I worked on some hit shows, I worked on some that weren't great, but I was a consistently working writer. I'm making six figures a year. I have a nice house, happily married, friends, healthy, parents love me. Like on paper, you know, I'm going to parties and there's Hollywood celebrities there. And you'd think, wow, that guy has an amazing life. And Darren, I was incredibly depressed, massively depressed. And I couldn't figure out why. All I knew is I woke up in the morning, I went to bed and I'm depressed. And I'm like, why? I've got this good, cool, high paying job in Hollywood. I got a wife and I got friends and I'm healthy. And so my then wife, my ex-wife now, she said to me, you should go to therapy. And it's one of the best things she ever did for me. And so I said, okay. And I went to therapy and it took me two years. I was just like, I, I, nothing's wrong with me, but I'm depressed. Well, let's figure out why. So we go through all, we did a lot of work and a lot of digging. And what I found out, it took me a long time to get there. But what I discovered is that I actually didn't really like my job very much. That I, I liked the idea of telling people, what do you do? Oh, I'm a Hollywood writer. I write on this sitcom or I'm, I'm writing a movie for The Rock or whatever. So I, I did. I wrote a movie for The Rock. Didn't get made, but I wrote a movie for The Rock. And, and saying things like that or, or the money I enjoyed. But the actual process of being in Hollywood, I didn't enjoy. It made me feel petty. It would be a whole other podcast as to why I didn't like my career in Hollywood. But the short version is that if you want to be a doctor, you do boom. Like you're like, if you do these four things, you're a doctor, right? You go to this school, you go to this school, you get this degree, you're a doctor. You could be the best writer in the world and never get a job because so much of it's subjective. I'm sure if I wrote down my five favorite TV shows and you wrote down what you thought were your five best TV shows, we probably don't have the same list. And it doesn't mean your list is wrong or my list is wrong. It's just, it's all subjective. And it just, it drove me crazy because I'd be like, why is that guy getting that? And why is she getting that? And I should be getting that. And I just felt jealous and petty. And I just, I didn't like all the, the schmoozing you had to do. I just, I was very unhappy in Hollywood. And I also realized that my ex-wife and I, she's a lovely woman. I'll never say anything bad about her, but we got together when I was 25 and she was 23. And at this point, I'm 35 and she's 33 and we're completely different people. We just got married way too young and we just grew apart, not better, not worse. And I realized that basically she'd become my nice roommate. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a marriage. It was just, we were pals and not even really good friends. We were just like coexisting. And so just basically I, I found myself that I don't like my career and I'm in an unhappy marriage and I'm really depressed. So that was my lowest point. I would say I had suicidal thoughts. I don't know that I ever took them seriously, but I, there were days that I couldn't get out of bed. I was just massively depressed. And my poor ex-wife would be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. And that was my lowest point. You know, and I was thinking about breaking up with my wife and I was so scared because I thought what was going to happen is that I would tell her, I said, hey, I, I think we should end this marriage. And I thought she was going to dive to the floor and grab my leg. Don't leave me, don't leave me. And what ended up happening, you know, I was going to like, oh, I'm going to break her heart. And oh my God, and she's a nice person and I care for her. I just, I'm no longer in love with her. And this is going to be so awful. And I don't want to admit this. And you know, it took a long time to get the courage to bring it up. And when I finally brought it up to her, you know, like, hey, 
she goes, oh my God, you too? And it was just like this amazing relief off of my shoulders and her as well. But we had this amazing cathartic moment because we were both like, yes, like I like you and you like me and we're pleasant people. And there's no drama. There's no third person. No one's cheating on anyone else. But it's just like we grew apart. We shouldn't be married. And uh, so we had a very amicable divorce. I'm friends with her to this day. But that was my lowest moment where I realized, Darren, in order to save my life, in order to get my life back on track, be able to get out of bed in the morning, that I needed to get out of my marriage, I needed to quit show business, which had been the entirety of my identity up to that point. And I realized that the only thing that made me happy, the only thing that really made me happy was at the time I had this dumb little fantasy football site that maybe had 2,000 kids on it. Again, this is 2004. This is just to give people a, a reference point in terms of 2004, the internet had only been around, you know, for a few years at that point. People aren't online that much. And fantasy football is considered very nerdy, very niche. Actual NFL players hated fantasy. They're like, you nerds with your fantasy stats. All you care about is what we did, not whether we won the game or not. They sell it at arm's length. So I remember going to my writing partner and I'm like, listen, man, I'm going to try to make a career of fantasy football. And I'm probably going to make $10,000 a year if I'm lucky and I'll figure it out and I'll scrape by and my ex-wife and I are getting a divorce and let's you and I write one last movie and bank the money because I'm going to try to make go of this making a living at fantasy football. You can believe it. And everyone's just like the, the game you play online, the, the nerd. The, and uh, so that was my lowest moment because everyone in Hollywood that I talked to was there. What? Giving up the, what? And my wife and I divorce. So half my friends are immediately gone. Whenever you split up, like half the friends go with her, half the friends go with you. And so I had a small support group of my friends, but a, a lot of my social life went away once my wife and I split up. And then another chunk of my life was showbiz friends, right? The people that I industry parties and that sort of thing. And I'm no longer show business. And so I had a good group of friends that I'd moved out there with from Syracuse, but I felt, oh my God, I'm 35 years old. I just threw away this career that I spent 12 years trying to build up and I'm now divorced and it's just me and a dog in an empty house trying to make a living at fake football on the internet. What am I doing? So that was my lowest point. Right there. Hmm. Wow, I can relate to so much. But even before I get into that, I want to let people know that Donnie's internet went out sure. of his house. So we're just going to keep rocking and, we're gonna take we're gonna take this home, but relate to so much, especially when you first talked about having all the boxes checked. I appreciate you sharing that, and just the fact that you were willing to take a chance uh, on yourself with something that you love, something that you were passionate. In. Um, I remember just with even me doing my music, I was ashamed of that people were like music, and it's like they see me, it's like I was out of the league. I was just, a lot of athletes or anybody that doesn't have anything going on, they start making music, and so I felt insecure about me wanting to do my own passion project. But now, you know people are listening to it and taking inspiration from it. So I applaud you for willing to take a chance on something that you love and that you were interested in, that you had a passion about and were willing to chase after it, regardless of what other people said. But you, you took that gut feeling and you ran with it. Uh, well, I, I love yeah. what you just said there. Appreciate all that love. And I, I absolutely love the way you phrased it. You were living your life for everyone but yourself. And you're 100% right. That's exactly right. And uh, that's what I was doing. It was all the external crap. It was just like being able to say, 
oh, I'm writing this movie for this star, or went to this party, or I did this, or I just bought that car. It doesn't make you happy. It didn't, especially because it's such false happiness. The minute that moment's over, oh, yeah, I'm writing a movie for The Rock or whatever. The moment the moment was over, then now you've got to find something else to say because there's no internal happiness. It's all external. Oh, what are you doing after that? Uh, I'm pitching a movie to Paramount. Yeah, it just feeds on itself. you got to figure out what the the next thing is. And the truth is that I often get credited with, oh, you saw fantasy football coming and that it would blow up the way it is and you rode that wave. And I would love to say that I was this you know brilliant businessman and that, that I saw that coming and I made this purposeful pivot to try to catch the wave early and ride it. And none of that's true. The, the truth is that I decided like I had no business plan. As I said, I legitimately thought I would make no money. I was going to take a massive pay cut, but I didn't think you could make a real living doing fantasy football. But what I decided was what was more important because I had money and that didn't make me happy. I was just going to chase happiness. That was my whole thing. I'm going to chase happiness. Fuck everything else. I just want to chase happiness. And if I make $5,000 a year or $10,000 a year or whatever it is, I'll figure it out. I'll get another job, whatever I've got to do to pay the bills. But I just, I want to chase happiness. And by chasing happiness, by doing that, I've been more successful than I ever could have dreamed of. But I actually, like as Don said in his intro, I actually I had to leave Hollywood to get on TV. I had to move from Los Angeles to Bristol, Connecticut to win an Emmy. And fantasy football, sometimes people have made fun of me for saying this, but it's the truth, which is that fantasy football in many ways saved my life. Because without fantasy football, I don't move to Bristol, Connecticut. If I don't move to Bristol, Connecticut, I don't meet my wife. I don't have my children. I don't have the friends that I have right now. Everything good that's in my life right now is in some way, shape, or form because of fantasy football, which seems insane to, uh, to, to say and think about, but it's the truth. And just by chasing happiness, everything else follows. And so that would be my advice. And I feel like this is similar to your story, right? Like you just focused on, on Darren and then the rest fell into place. When you were suspended and you decided that you found the outlet with the music and you decided, I got to get myself clean and let me just think, let me focus on Darren. And then once you did that, the world opened up for you. And same thing for me. Once I just decided to say, I'm not going to try to chase a high paying job or this because I think this is popular or whatever. I'm just chasing happiness. And once I was happy, like everything fell into place. And it's not that I'm not always happy. I have disappointments. I talked about just had one this week at work. Things happen. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm happy and I feel very blessed. That's so encouraging to hear. Somebody needed to hear that they can be true to themselves and still have a life that has purpose or is successful to them. If you're busy going and trying to work in somebody else's lane or trying to fit a form of, of success that other people have made for you, then it's, it's not going to mean anything to you. You're just going to want more and more. But that's so amazing to hear that you can stay true to yourself. And no matter how long it may take or no matter what it may look like, you know, that feeling that you're looking for, that contentment with your life is is going to come and it's going to feel amazing if you just stay the course we transform as people uh what would you my say kids. you're most grateful for today my kids i'm most grateful for for my kids for health for all of it it's so funny like sometimes i'll do interviews and they're like oh wow you're espn senior fantasy analyst is that your dream job i'm like no man like when i was dreaming of jobs this didn't exist I think on the last 4th of July, I tweeted something out, something like grateful to live in a country where I can make a living wearing makeup 
on the internet and talking about fake football. You know what I mean? That's literally what I do is I, I wear makeup on the internet and talk about fake football. And I make a nice living doing that. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the platform that ESPN has given me. Like I said, especially with COVID and everything that's happened in the past year, I'm grateful for my health and the health of my family. Very blessed. I had COVID. My wife had COVID. My kids have all had it, but we've all managed to come out on the other side with it. Thank goodness. I'm grateful for the fact that, that I'm financially stable because I know so many people out there aren't. And I'm very blessed to to be in that situation. And I know that and I appreciate that. And I don't take that for granted. There's a lot to be thankful for, but that would be my answer. Yeah, I love that. Uh, intentional gratitude is something that we all need to apply and something that definitely made a difference in my life. And, you know, I can feel Before you go there, Darren, I just want to say one thing that I think might be helpful at, that just to tie in that one point. So grateful. This is something that, again, harkens back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of like how pain and, and issues are agnostic and they don't discriminate. The other thing that I would say that I found is that like, Everyone, for lack of a better phrase, like everyone has their own shit. Like, you know what I mean? And then I'll tell you like a colleague of mine who is, let's just say, not as well known as I am, okay, called me with an issue that he was upset about in terms of something that had happened at work for him. And he's just, oh, you don't understand because you're at whatever level I'm at and he's at this other level and they treat me different than you, that kind of thing. And then a week later, something happened to me that didn't feel great for me. And then, by the way, like I've had conversations with people that are massive stars and like they have their shit through fantasy football. I've managed to meet a number of celebrities and CEOs and people of, of great fame and people of great wealth. And they'll text me for fantasy advice or whatever. And I become friends with them. And they'll tell me about, oh, this with their kid or this with their wife or their husband or whatever. And this in their career. And just everyone has their own shit. From the little kid that's being bullied on the playground to the grandma that can't get heat in her nursing home. We all have our own shit. And I, I don't know. That's all I would say. It's hard to sometimes remember because we all get in our own heads and we think about our own problems. But just, we all have our own shit. And just if you're ever feeling bad about yourself, turn on the news one day. I assure you there's somebody that has it worse. It's a hard thing to, to face and to come to grips with. So that's why we appreciate you so much for being on here. And I want to ask you if you had one tweet, 140 character text that you could send to young Matthew Barry. It would say, try to relax. It all works out. I promise. That's what I would say. Hmm. Oh, man, that's simple and profound. Not easy, but definitely simple. Um, no. Yeah, we all get where I've written this before. I, life is not a race. It's a journey, but it's not a race. And I'm a big believer in everyone gets to where they're supposed to be. Maybe not as fast as the person next to you. Maybe not at the time frame you want. Maybe not even the way you expect. But I believe that everyone gets to the place where they're supposed to be. Again, 20 years ago, I thought I'd be living in LA, successful screenwriter. Maybe I'm directing a few things now and married to my first wife, never thinking I would be living in Connecticut with five kids, my wife and I each in a second marriage, talking on basic cable about how I think Cole Komet's going to do this year. And I like Cole Komet, by the way. Glad we're talking tight ends. But no, nah, man, yeah, absolutely. Last thing I want to ask you before yeah. we get you out of here is uh, if you had one person along your journey that you would give a comeback story shout out to, somebody that poured into you, somebody that was there for you, 
somebody really lost, with you through the ups and the downs, who would you give that shot? Think about that. There's a number of great nominees. My therapist, I would nominate her. Don't want to say her name, but my privilege, confidential, all that stuff. But my therapist, woman in LA, she's great, would certainly be, would be one of them. I'd have to say my wife. There's my younger brother, super supportive of my parents, super supportive when I think about a couple of friends. Yeah, there have been people at ESPN that have made my career. A guy named John Walsh, a guy named uh, John Kozner, both of them made my career at ESPN, which in you know many ways saved my life. But my wife, Beth, when we started dating, I just started working at ESPN. I was trying to get on TV, trying to explain to TV people that, listen, fantasy's popular. I promise you, they want to hear from me. It took a while for me to convince the powers that be internally here at ESPN that fantasy football was popular, was going to be popular, that our fans were interested in it. And so there were some tough times of trying to get fantasy football out of the mindset of people that it was this nerdy, niche thing, and it was actually something really popular and fun and that everyone could play. And my wife was supportive through all of it. And yeah, when I met my wife, she was making more money than I was. Anyway, I'd say my wife that. You know, Matthew, I just want to thank you for being on here today. Uh, thank you for being vulnerable, for being real. Darren, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. I appreciate you creating this forum and sharing so much of yourself and bringing other people on to share their comeback stories. And I agree with you. Listen, I, I say this all the time. No journey is alone, right? No journey is alone. So now you're part of my journey, which uh, I'm thrilled about. Thank you for being part of my journey. This is what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's gonna get crowned. 